When you become a widow, the heartache can be overwhelming. You feel lost, you feel broken, you feel alone, and sometimes you feel like the pain will never go away. I believe that every widow has the capacity to endure, the power to overcome, and the determination to create a new life filled with meaning and purpose. That's why I wanted to create a show called Widow 180. People tell me they come here for the positivity. They listen to Widow 180, the podcast, to be inspired. They come to Widow 180 to be reminded that they have options, that the pain of loss is not a life sentence. Widow 180 is about turning tragedy, loss, and fear into strength, creativity, and a new passion for life. My mission each week is to arm you with these powerful stories of transformation and knowledge so that you can navigate life after loss. I'm Jen Zwink. I'm so glad you're listening. Let's get to the episode. This episode is sponsored by the Widow Squad membership community, a community that gives you the resources, inspiration, and camaraderie to help widows move through grief and create the life that they deserve. This is an online membership where we bring together widows for support and encouragement to grow, learn, and share so that they can create life on their own terms. In this group, you will have access to our full content library, monthly workshops, guest speakers, exclusive resources, special events, and so much more. If you're feeling lost, if you're feeling alone, this is the place for you. Sign up and get more information at widowsquad.com. That's widowsquad.com. And we'll see you on the inside. But you got to go because if you don't go, I'm going to go. Yeah. And there's going to be nobody to take care of you. That was my last conversation with my husband. Wow. wow. So, yeah, so that's how, how it all played out. I mean, it was kind of crazy and hard. Just, and In that moment. And you're like, you made it. You did it. You did it. Wow. You know, I was cheering like I, I I was cheering over him like you crossed the finish line. You crossed the finish line because I had been to a million races with this man and I'd watched him win and lose and it felt really strange to be so excited that he had won this race, this right. battle with cancel that was really tearing his body down. But for me, he never wanted those last 10 days and right. every day was a burden to me because I felt like I was letting him down because he wasn't dying. And I knew he was staying because he wanted to stay with me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I needed him to go, you know, I, it, it does get to a point where you just need them to go because you can't bear it any longer. Yeah. You can't bear seeing them in pain and you can't, you can't do the work. To you take can't care do of anything about it. It's just yeah. this helpless feeling. Yeah. You really learn. And evidently I haven't learned this because I still get this lesson over and over to me, but you really do learn that you're not in control right. in this life. We think that we're in control. We set goals we set dreams aspirations we work hard towards things we do all the things but you know there's that song that says life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans mm -hmm. and that's the truth like we set the, the things here my husband and I spent our lifetime together talking about how we would die and it was always together I'm going to be holding your hand. We're going to be 86 years old on our rocking chairs on the porch. Mm -hmm. I hope it's in our 70s when we're taking some flight across the world and some small plane to some small uh, island somewhere and our plane goes down and we both go together. Um, he had a million scenarios, but they <laughs> always were together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's... Wow. It really sucks when that's, that's not the plan. So he dies. It's July. I'm 49 years old. Within a couple weeks, my adult children have 
flown the nest. My youngest adult child, I ended up putting in rehab. And so I'd lost my husband. And in four months, I became an empty nester. And then three months later, I turned 50. God. I'm like, this. What is this life, right? Yeah. Yeah, this wasn't the life I planned. I'm supposed to be right now planning the vacations with my husband that we put off until our family was grown until other things had been crossed off our list. And now I'm sitting here and it's, it's me. Yeah. Everything changed. Everything changes. So I have to say there's a few myths that I discovered along the way. Mm -hmm. Myth number one, I was convinced that I was grieving my husband's loss with him because we were grieving during this process. We were Mm -hmm. grieving our sex life. We were grieving our relationship as a husband and wife. I was becoming more caregiver than wife. Um, We were grieving our dynamic, our relationship. I was grieving not being able to see my husband be. the father and grandfather to his kids that he really treasured. And that was really difficult. Yeah. But those were what I was grieving. And I thought, I understand that he's going to die. And because I'm grieving all of these things now, I'm going to be okay. And Mm -hmm. he kept telling me, Michelle, I do not want you to wait. I want you to get married right away. Do not put this off. Do not put this off. And he he would just tell me that over and over and again. Ah. And he he would tell me also, you know, I would prefer you just find a lady friend to go travel with and see the world. (laughs) But I understand. He's like, I know who you are. I know your nature. You're an amazing mother. You're an amazing wife. And you're an amazing grandma. And I want you to be able to share that part of you with somebody else. And I want somebody to treasure and value that in you. And I I want this for you. And that's a gift because a lot of people will not tell their spouses that. I know. They yeah, and I I find that to be cruel personally, um. But the crazy thing about it is, I'm such a type A personality. I'm such a goal getter. I'm such a give me a list to do. I'm going to tackle it. So after he died, I immediately got on dating apps, and it, it was about three or four months before I went out on a date. Um, and. I went out and I met a man. It was very nice. We went to a movie. We kissed afterwards and um, it, not passionately, just a kiss. <laughs> yeah. and, um, just, I want to put this in perspective. And that moment made me realize, oh, I'm not ready for this. No. So you were, just kinda, for- you were just kind of doing it because it was already in your head. Like this was kind of a, a request and I a was conversation doing it. that you had had. So you were like, okay, I should probably do this because he told me to do this. <laughs> I would like to invite you to get our latest freebie designed just for you. How to get your life back together after loss. A 10-step checklist. After countless hours of research, interviewing hundreds of widows, and through my own experience with grief, I have compiled this list of the 10 steps you need to take to put your life back together after losing a loved one. It's normal to feel overwhelmed and also normal to not know where to start when it comes to picking up the pieces of your shattered world. Here's where you start. You can get this free 10-step checklist at www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. I was following his checklist for me. 
I, I was a good wife. <laughs> I'd do anything this man asked me to do. Well, he and asked so, me to get married, so I'm not going to do it. I, I'm like, I'm just going to go find that person. I'm just going to take this on, you know, on to the oh, next no. thing. Like, right, right, right. <laughs> and then, um, then I started having a problem, honestly, with drinking way too much alcohol. And I was drinking a lot of vodka. And I was getting... I wouldn't drink during the week because I was working, but um, on my weekends, I would get so blacked out drunk. And I was waking up on Sunday and Mondays with bruises all over me. I didn't know how I got them. I was drinking alone, very dangerous. And I actually told a friend of mine and he told me, and he's a recovered um, alcoholic. And he told me, he's like, Michelle, you're on a dangerous path. Yeah. And he said, I can tell you a few things about life that I've learned. One, grief has a price and it demands to be paid. You will pay the price of grief. You can delay it, but you might create a lot more grief and a lot more pain to deal with in the end. And that alone was enough for me. And this man very much reminds me of my husband. I love this man with the depth uh, and respect. Like I, I love this man. Um, and had it come from anyone else, I don't think I would have heard it. But yeah. he, this particular man, has a way of speaking to me in the way that my husband did. And I, I went and checked myself into AA, and I went through AA for a year. And oh, I realized wow. um, I'm not an alcoholic, but I did not have a good relationship. That was not the way to address my feelings and emotions. And that I had to start feeling my feelings and really feeling them. And the more I started feeling them and I started understanding that all that pain was really just love that I had for my husband yeah. with no where to put it anymore. Right. Right. Did you, how long did you, um, so you started drinking like that just a few months after or just like, I had been drinking kind of the two, those 22 months were kind of, um, there were moments of really terrible things going on and, and me drinking too much. And, and there was a lot of chaos going on in my home at the time. My kids were not handling things well. There was some triangulation with two kids and, and um, my husband and I, there was a lot of dynamics that were going on. I, I don't tend to, to go into that, those details, but really, honestly, if you hold the whole true story, you'd be like, how are you even alive today? Okay. Um, so it there was started, just like, there was just things that were, were going on while he was still here. And then you just yeah. continued and it got a little bit worse, a little bit worse. Yeah. A little bit worse. Yeah. And it just, I had one of my children arrested. I turned them into the, like we had legal things going on on top of all of this stuff. It, there was just a lot going on lot. on top of all of the, the stuff that you just have to take care of, you know? Yeah. And so my husband and I had just developed this place where we had decided that child's going to do what they're going to do regardless and even though we were not okay with this illegal nature going on and taking place in our home, we also are just creating more hell for ourselves. So we're going to ignore it for now. And I will have to deal with it after he goes. And that was the agreement we made. And that's what happened. But okay. it, it, during that time, I find, found myself just going, well, screw it. You, you can't get them to stop. Why not join them kind of attitude, you know? Mm. So. Um, you know, after my husband would get all of his IB treatments on Friday night, sometimes I would start drinking then. So okay. it kind of started while he was sick and then it just really ramped up to where it started to become every single weekend. And I was doing it alone. There was nobody in my home. I wasn't really safe. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I quit drinking entirely for a year. I have drink on and off occasionally. I it really doesn't do. I, I I try to avoid blackout, and um, it doesn't do for me what it did. I've, you know, yeah. Uh, 
I think in the last three years total, I, in the last, in the, in the last year, I have been tipsy um, or drunk three times. And then okay. there's no drinking at all. Okay. Like I just don't drink at all, but. Um, so you ended up getting the help with that, from that friend that stepped in and gave you that wake up call. So yeah. you were continuing getting treatment for that. And did you, did you do anything else? Did you turn to anything else to kind of help you in a more productive way or what? Yeah. It, yeah. Like how so did- I have some things that I've done my whole life. And one of those things is I write down um, usually in the morning, but sometimes at night, um, a list of things I'm grateful for t- t- in the day. And I don't do a big long list because I found that I quit doing it when I get into the 25 <laughs> item thing. Yeah. Um, so I would just jot down. So even the day my husband, the next morning that my husband had died the night before I, I have it in here somewhere, um, a journal where I wrote down the things I was grateful for. And yeah. I, I, I can't remember right off the top of my head what they were, but, um, you know, I, I, w- I've always been able to see the good and I've always been able to like, look, things are crappy, but this is life, right? Like things happen. You think there's no way out of them or it's going to be the end or we can't survive this. And then somehow we all do. And yeah. so, um, because I've seen that and because we've, my husband and I have gone through so many things together, I knew that I was going to be okay. I knew that somehow it would sort out and it would figure out. Um, that year of sobriety was really good for me to, to put me on a more grounded level. Um, I took a daughter of mine to Peru. We went and climbed Machu Picchu wow. um, with a group of friends. And that was a, a lifelong dream since I was 16 years old. Yeah. Um, my husband never wanted to travel. I've had a travel bug in my heart since I was 16, since I heard pan flutes and in the jungles of Machu Picchu uh, on, on a recording at, you know, some crystal shop that I found. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so um, I had this fantasy of that for my whole life. And so I've been, I, I started to travel and I started to, to cross some things off my list. Um, you know, my husband told me I've been very selfish. Um, you know, I put my priorities first and he goes, I don't regret it because of the way things have ended. He said, but you've put a lot of your life on hold and now it's going to be your turn. Mm. And I often think about that. Um, and sometimes I forget it, but then this last year I actually went and had a tarot reading, um, at my local, book crystal bookstore yeah you don't put a lot of value or weight into those things usually you know it's like 20 bucks whatever it's fun let's see what they (laughs) have to say yeah um but the cards fly out of her hands and she's like wow these like like she's shuffling the deck and they literally just fly out and she's like wow and then she she gets emotional and she kind of turns her head and she says your husband's here with you And he has a message for you. It's your time. Wow. (laughs) It's your turn. You've given me a great life and now it's your turn. And I started bawling. (gasps) That's him. That's him. Oh yeah. 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 No, there's no mistake about it. No. Yeah. it, It was crazy. So. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I want to get into when did you get the idea to start your podcast? Like, Where did that come into? Where did that fall into that timeline of doing the podcast? The crazy story is I actually had an idea for this podcast a long time ago. I had been involved in politics. Like I said, I'd been um, going out to, um, to, you know, my job was to meet people and, and encourage, I'm sorry, I'm having a little technical difficulty seeing you because my screen just shut down and I don't know why I didn't touch anything. Um, here we go. Um, so I would travel the entire state of Utah 
And um, I met so many amazing people along the way. You know, some people called me the shark in Utah politics. Um, I always thought it was fun. And I always love to prey on that. I am a very type A personality. I'm super confident. I'm intimidating to a lot of people. But really, if you know me, I'm the biggest softie there is. And I have this whole other side that the political people never knew, right? I was a homebrew midwife. I was catching babies. I was massaging bags. I was living off of intuition, right? Yeah. Well, that, that, that is who I am. And I have this little gift um, where I meet people and people tend to want to share with me some of their, their hurts and their, and their traumas. I probably should have been a trauma therapist um, mm. if, if, because I would have been really good at it. We could have gotten <laughs> to the guts of things a lot faster for people um, because it doesn't take people along with me. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I, I'd been collecting these stories for 10, 12 years, and then podcasts started to be popular and I love them. I'm (laughs) a busy person. So I don't like to sit and watch television. Yeah. I love putting in my earbuds and cleaning my house and having a friend with me and doing my laundry, which I hate doing laundry and having a conversation in my head. I like this is the best invention in the world to me. It is. I, I agree. Audiobooks. <laughs> yeah. I love audiobooks. I love podcasts. I love true crime. I love mysteries. I found some mystery podcasts where they're completely fiction, you know? And um, I, anyway, I love it. So I had actually, I always thought, you know, it would be so great if there was a podcast where people could highlight their stories. Like we all have hard things. It's not just death. Like I look at my life and I've experienced so many things. I could list off probably 15 things like infertility, miscarriages, late term miscarriages. My husband found out he had fathered a child right after we got married and we had just had another miscarriage and we found out he was the proud father of a three-year-old son. And then we had to work through those issues. Then we had my husband had some anger issues. We worked through domestic violence. I had him arrested twice, um, once in California. And, and I didn't have him arrested in California, but the police came in California. How, I, in fact, I have a nice little scar in my head from when he kicked a door and it split my head open. Um, we worked through some major issues that a lot of marriages fail over. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I look at my life and I'm like, I used to think, why do all these bad things happen to me? And I realized through living life and through having this gift and people telling me their stories, I started to realize about by the time I was maybe in my thirties, Oh, life happens to everybody and it's hard. And if you're living, you're going to get some hard lessons. Like, even the people we think haven't gotten the hard lessons, they just haven't shared the lesson. Mm. So I'm like, I started to have that awareness Then I'm working in politics. I'm hearing these stories. And a lot of these things are happening to people. I love friends, but when my husband died, those stories carried me. Mm. I realized my friend Aaron lost a four-year-old son that he had adopted in a swimming pool in a drowning accident when family was around. That is like the worst fear of mother, right? Like we don't want to lose our kids. Yeah. Um, I had a friend that uh, less dramatic uh, had her house complete loss due to fire from a kid playing with a candle in a closet Mm. but it was devastating it was a devastating experience um I had my friend my boss who had lost her daughter she had shared with me that story while we were working on Senator Hatch's campaign in 2012 and um and and we really got into the nuts and bolts of that story and and that story really carried me. I was really aware of some of the things that I was facing because it's some of the things that she'd shared with me. Yeah. 
And um, so all of those things were going on. Well, then um, 2019, I believe it is, we have the summer of Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And our National Guard gets called out. And uh, they they don't have Gatorade and stuff like that for while they're out. And they need some food. They, they need nourishment. It's hot. And so they have cards for lunches and, and the government's taking care of them on that. But like for like when they're in their vehicles patrolling, they're out there in the heat and they, they don't have stuff on them. So I had a friend that collected some money. I heard about it. I said, I will go get a truck. I will go to Costco. We will buy a whole bunch of water, a whole bunch of Gatorade and some snacks that they can take with them while on patrol. And so I did that and I put it all together in the same day. And so it was like midnight when we were dropping off the delivery. And I had, when my husband died, Brent Taylor, who was a mayor of Ogden, had been serving in Afghanistan and he couldn't be at my husband's celebration of life, but he wanted Mm. to do something for me. He'd followed me in this. We had a private face group book we were a part of. And um, he sent me a message and he had taken a picture with this flag and he had printed out my husband's obituary photo. And mm-hmm. he said, I went and climbed the top of this mountain and flew this flag for you today. And I hope it brings you some comfort and peace. Well, being involved in politics, that really actually meant a lot to me. Yeah. And, um, and it actually, I received that message on a morning the day before my husband's celebration of life that I, I didn't want to get out of bed and I didn't know how I was going to get out of bed again. Like I, it was a bad morning. And, um, so we, so he had sent that to me and I had met his, his widow. So he, he had done that for me. And three months to the day that he flew that flag, he was shot and killed in action. Oh God. Crazy enough, he was shot and killed on the day of my husband's father's funeral. So I leave my husband's father's funeral. I walk out and I get this news. Oh, God. I hadn't received the flag yet. Anyway, December comes, I get the flag. So now we're six months later. I'd already met her. I'd gotten my flag. We kind of kept in touch a little bit, exchanged a few messages, but really hadn't connected. But she hears about what I'm doing. She wants to go down there. She had been made a citizen's. I should know this by now because I hear her say it on our podcast all the time. Uh-huh. But it pays on to the citizens and okay. and the army. And um, and so she wants to go. So she meets us down there. And this had been pressing on my heart. Like, you got to do this podcast. You got to do this podcast. And I started thinking in my head of all the people I'd want on my podcast, mm. girlfriend, Holly Richardson, 25 adopted kids, multiple disability, blah, blah, blah. Like I just had a list of people that I'm like story after story after story. And some of these people have story after story after story of their own. Yeah. And, um, and so I thought we need to do this. So I, I just asked her, I said, so, Hey, I have this idea for a podcast. I said, I know it's kind of crazy. I don't know how we do it. I don't know how to even get started. I don't even know what we do, but I just thought I'd ask you if you'd be interested in co-hosting because this is my idea. Met all these people in politics. They've had all these life traumas, some losses, some are not losses. I want a little bit of everything. Yeah. I said, I feel like our community is so disconnected right now with everything that's going on. And I would really like to remind everyone to be kind that we don't really know the struggles other people are dealing with. Right, right. She's like, oh, I love that idea. And I said, and I was thinking you could bring on military gold star wives or family members or whatever. And she goes, oh, I love that. Yes, yes, I'm in, I'm in, let's do this. Yeah. So I'm working on a governor's campaign and I'm I'm out at an event and this guy comes running and I, I knew him from before his name's Lee Lonsbury, and he was on KSL, which is a ma- major media house here in the state of Utah. And um, But he'd gone back to D.C. and was working for a senator. Okay. But he'd come back. He'd come, come, he came back, and I think he was, yeah, he was at KSL at the time. 
He's back working at KSL. So I'm like, hey, Lee, I'm like, what are you doing? I love seeing your Facebook updates on your baby and blah, blah, blah. We're catching up. And he goes, well, what are you doing? He goes, I'm really sorry about John. And I followed your you and your journey on Facebook. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just really sorry. And and what are you what are you doing now? And I said, well, actually, I have this idea for a podcast. I don't know how to do it. I don't know where to begin, but this is my idea. And he goes, you should go pitch that to our producer um, at KSL. And I said, well, who is that? Like, I, I don't even know. Like, and, and he goes, I'll set it up. Ah. I set up the appointment. I walked in. I walked in with Jenny. We sat down. We said, this is our idea. She goes, I love it. Let's do it. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was that simple. I know you're dying. I have a producer. I don't have to edit. I don't have to do anything. I just go in and get, I, I create the content. So wow, I have yeah. the idea. I created the content. Um, It's a learning process. As you know, your Mm. first year is nothing but learning. It's hard to make changes because you're like, well, this is what I'm doing. And even though I see I need to make some changes, I'm really afraid to make those changes. So now we're we're rolling now into our second year. I'm really making some big changes this year. I'm super excited about them. Um, I hope to grow it and to actually maybe figure out how to monetize it and make some money. We haven't made a dime on our podcast. we have a steady listenership. It's mm-hmm. not super high. It's not super popular. Um, but yeah, that's where we're at. How right many now. episodes do you have? 110, I think we're at. 110. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So Two you do years. Like one, every one every week. week. Mm-hmm. One every week. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. That is awesome. We could have, we could probably do two or three or, I mean, th- it's so endless and I have so many people and now I'm branching out into other areas. Like I'm bringing on like some holistic minded people for self-improvement and growth and healing and epigenetics and other things. And then I've got some therapists coming on to talk about one of the biggest problems in Utah, which is pornography use uh, with men. And then also talking about a syndrome, which is really prevalent also in Utah, um, which is being a Mr. Nice guy, uh, which is, not a good thing. Um, it's, it sounds like it's a good thing. It's right. not. <laughs> yeah. So um, we have some like really exciting guests and we're really branching out as Very far cool. as like, yeah, because like we're all struggling with things and there's just so many things to cover and resiliency in itself. It's like, it's a muscle that we have to use in order to grow and, and maintain that strength. And, and if we're not doing it, we can get caught off guard and it can be scary. One of the people that came on my podcast, who I always found incredibly resilient, um, he and his wife came on to share their story. And last year he ended up taking his life. And, um, you know, eventually sometimes life gets the best of us and if we don't yeah. want to get in a situation where, and I'm not blaming this man, but if we don't want to get into a situation where we can't manage what is going on in our lives, that we see no other way out, we have to be proactive. Yeah. So, um, and, oh, and how I do that is taking opportunity to be honest with myself daily, to write down the things I'm grateful for to maintain good relationships with healthy people in my life, to make sure that I have, I have a call list of people that I know if I call them, they're picking up. They're not just going to wait to get a text message or what they're picking up because they know if I'm calling them, like I've got a problem. And also they can call me for the same reason at any time. Um, I think that those are some real key things that I put in place in my life to help me maintain my strength and resiliency. Yeah, that is good. That's a good list. Yeah, thanks. Good way to keep on track. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I'm better on it now, you know. Um, I realized I really benefit from a healthy schedule. And so I have been getting up in the morning and doing yoga and meditation and, um, so it, I have a nice little routine, prayer, yoga, meditation, prayer is really important. Cause that's me talking to God, 
yoga is really important because that's me stretching and and waking my body up and acknowledging this healthy body that I do have. Yeah. Um, and then meditation is the opportunity for God to speak to me after I've addressed those two things. And for me, that that has been a game changer. Um, and I've recently had some, we, we had a delay in this podcast because I have been diagnosed with food allergies, had an allergy appointment this morning to find out what they all are. And, um, and then had some reactions and, and a eight o'clock appointment ended up, I not, it didn't get out until 11.08, but, um, oh, goodness. And I hope I'm yeah. okay. I'm a little bit red and puffy still. Um, I've had, I had some bad <laughs> no, reactions, but, um, uh, I've cried now anyway. So like at this point, what does it matter? But, um, you know, the, those things are challenging and I'm a foodie. One of the things I love more than anything is great food. It's a passion of mine. I don't eat a lot of anything, but I like a lot of a, a little of everything, you know? <laughs> and so, um, it's been hard because I've recently been diagnosed with wheat and soy allergy. Oh, that's and tough. That's- just about in everything. But the great news is I've lost 11 pounds. I have more energy than I've ever had. I have less inflammation in my body. And I'm like, this is really poisoning my body. And and I'm actually feeling better. So even though I'm having to sacrifice my joy of food, I am having a joy of connecting to my my body in a way I didn't have before. I do want to ask you about the, um, you mentioned the meditation and how you recently started um, a coaching program that you I did. Are, you're doing some training. I'm enrolled in Jay yeah. Shetty's International Coaching Program, the Jay, cool. Jay Shetty's International School of Coaching. And um, I should complete that uh, sometime at the end of March. Um, I'm starting oh, to take okay. clients now. And um, I do a vision board. Um, vision boarding I've done on and off my entire life. But I've really started to be able to see the value in creating a vision board each year. I don't complete everything on the board. It's not really about that. It used to be, which is why there were years that I didn't do it because I'm like, well, I had this big dream, but I already know there's no way that I can get it. And then I just was like, well, I'm not going to do this because because that type A perfectionist brain that I have. But I've lost a lot of that in this process of cancer. I've been I've learned to let go. I've learned that most of everything in life is actually pretty small. And I've also learned that life is going to happen while I'm making these big plans. And whether the the big plans happen or not really isn't the point. The point is to have big, beautiful dreams. And so um, I have a vision board. In fact, I'm looking at it. It it faces the other side of my computer on the wall uh, uh, across from me. And I accomplished a lot of those things this year. Um, I'm really excited about my vision board class that I'm putting on this Saturday, actually. Um, and I'm, I'm making it very much a spiritual experience and informational experience and a, and a foundational place where people will leave. They'll not only have their vision board, but they will see the areas I'm going to use the wheel of life. And we're going to go through the wheel of life process. I don't know if you've heard that, but yeah. It divides up different areas of your life, spiritual, physical, work, whatever. Um, and uh, we're going to see where we're out of balance in those areas, where we want to grow, where we, where is the lack. And sometimes it takes the visual and taking the time yeah. out, right, yeah. to, to really assess. We're so busy living life. We don't ever t- t- take the assessment. No, like, I know. It's are we so enjoying boring. this life? Is this life even the life we wanted to live? Is this, yeah. does this have anything to do with what we want? And so um, we're going to do that. So people will leave with an opportunity to figure out what is it that they would like to work on and how to get to those steps. And if they want to either do some coaching with me or somebody else, I'm having other co- coaches come. Um, I think coaching Very much cool. like choosing a birth doula you've got to choose somebody who fits for you. So I'm not for everybody. Everyone's not for me. It has to be a good fit. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm creating a, a whole new business and 
and kind of moving away a little bit from politics, although one of the offerings in my coaching program is political consultant for um, if somebody wants to run for office, I will sit down with them for $500, two hours, and I will tell them this is what's required of being a candidate. This is what it looks like. This is what your race is likely to cost you. Here's mm. some references and referrals for staff, for uh, management, but I don't want to manage anything. I don't want to consult on anything other than like, do you really want to step into this? Because it's a lot and people yeah. really should figure it out before they make that choice. So that is awesome. You've got all these different like pockets of interests and things. And <laughs> it's just like he said, it's your time. It's your yeah, time it's my to time. do everything. You can do I, everything, right? I have created a beautiful group of women. And, and we started about halfway through the year last year. We do a book club every Thursday, first Thursday of the month. I've always found that really works for me. I used to do this years and years ago with childbirth. Uh, I used to host it at Barnes & Noble. But I started hosting it here at my house. And mostly single women, but some of my old birthing married friends um, that have been my lifelong friends for my old book club are coming. It's been so fun. And, and this year we opened it up to men. So it's a co-ed book club. Okay. And the men, everyone who came said, I've always wondered what women do at book club. (laughs) And I'm like, and now you get to know, we talk about all the things all the things life religion kids family we talk about everything while we eat good food and and discuss the book you know yes oh how fun how fun yeah so i'm really excited about this year excited about the things that i've created the things that keep me busy um i've started to i always wanted to learn to dance i have two left feet and i found there's um, for ten or seven dollars, I can go down to a a a place in in Utah here, and they do an hour of free instruction, and then oh. you stay, and it's a singles event for dancing. So I go and do oh that. My gosh. I've also found some <laughs> dance classes that I want to take, and so I'm going to do that on Tuesday nights and on Wednesday nights. I'm going to do this singles dance thing, and um. I usually spend the weekends at home. I don't date. Um, I have dated. I had been in a relationship. We talked a little bit about that. We won't go into it very much. I will say he showed up at my door last night. Uh-oh. And, uh, I, Uh-oh. I don't even know what to think about it. Like part of me is just like, I'm zero interest. And part yeah. of me is like, if we could resolve some of the things, it, is it worth it? I don't know. So, oh, the dating. I haven't been dating. And I really, I, I told him, I said, I'm not dating. I'm like, I know you've been dating since our breakup. I'm not. And I haven't been. And um, so, it, you know, it's an interesting process. I, I'm just rolling with it. It's like, you I know, know. So, that's the best thing you can do. I mean, sometimes, you know, a lot of my no friends expectations. <laughs> Right. Some of my girlfriends are like, you need to just close the store. Close. I closed the door. I had him blocked on everything, which is why he showed up at my house. Yeah. And, um, uh. and you know, I actually had just gotten off of a cruise. I got home from my cruise on Sunday at midnight, went to sleep, went to do my podcast, took, got, got home, took my son on some errands, came home and he, I was pulling into my driveway and his truck is there. And I'm like, Oh no, what's going on here? Like, oh no. no so well um, we'll have to have you back on so we can talk all about the date all about dating <laughs> so dating is such but, an interesting thing you know i i want to yeah. say dating is interesting it's an opportunity to learn a lot about yourself and you'll learn a lot about other people and i mostly have learned that i took my husband for granted in numerous mm. ways I had an amazing, amazing man. And um, I'm not willing to settle. No, I know. Definitely. That's, that's the main thing. You're too too good. Yeah. Too good for any of the, any of the drama. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) And life, life brings 
brings with it its own drama regardless. Like dra- drama's going to happen in life. And I, I, I've i surrendered to that. But you don't need to invite it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to open the door and willingly invite that into no, your life. No, no. Oh, my goodness. Well, Michelle, you have so much going on now. You've got like all these different like pockets of interest and things that you're you have such this it's it's such a bright amazing future and this year is going to be incredible you have so many fun things going on and i'm so glad i got to talk to you today yeah um thank you so much for having me on i know can you please tell everyone again what is the name of the podcast and where we can find you and find the podcast and everything about it it's unfortunately a tongue twister of a podcast it's called relentless now i can't say it relentlessly resilient and you can find it um at ksl.com or you can find it anywhere you get your podcast you can reach out to be on my show if you're interested you have a story you've heard my story you know a story you've gone through some hard things and you found strength on the other side of it i'd love to hear your story you can reach me personally directly by uh, Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast okay. or on Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient. Okay. I'm going to put the links in the show notes so everybody can find okay. it and just find you easily there. Yeah. But thank you so much for joining me and telling me all the story. And it's, it's, it's going to be such a help to so many people listening. Um and I just appreciate you coming on and sharing. So thank you oh, for being I here. Appreciate you. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate you being on. And I, I honor and respect all the work you've done. I, you know, after you reached out to me, I went and I looked up your podcast and I was like, I've got to start listening to this podcast. I've got to add it to my queue. And I did listen <laughs> to a couple. I haven't gotten very far. I'm super interested. And you've been doing amazing work. And I can't wait to have you mm-hmm. on my podcast I know. I can't wait. Schedule. I'm so excited. Very I'm so soon. excited. And um, yeah. I'm very excited to have you on. You're, you're amazing. And I, oh, you know, you. it's a widow's heart. You know, it is, it's, yeah. this is not a fun road to walk. Yeah. And uh, there's, there's a lot of joy that comes from even the thought of me helping anyone else, whether yeah. it's from this podcast, po- po- podcast today or if it's in any of the shows with any of the stories that I've been able to share on mine, we are all in this life together and we need to remember that. And I think when we listen to the news, when we get really involved in a lot of things out there, the media, the sensationalism, it's easy to start thinking it's them. It's Mm -hmm. them. It's you. It's, it's me. Like we're separate. Yeah. And we're not. We're all in this thing together. We're all doing a lot of hard. We're all entitled to our place in the world and figuring it out on our way. Um, But, and that doesn't make for easy communication. It doesn't make for an easy world, but we all are entitled to that. And we've got to remember to that. We need to give space to people to, to be who they are so that we can be who we are. Yes, absolutely. Oh, Michelle, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I'll see you soon, okay? Yes. All right. Okay, bye. Bye. Here are the takeaways from Michelle. Number one, Michelle and John were married 32 years. Michelle lost her husband to terminal cancer. Number two, she found out about his diagnosis on the doctor's patient portal on their website instead of actually being contacted by a nurse or a doctor. Number three, Michelle continued to work while also being a full-time caregiver for her husband. She tells us about leaning on her coworkers and her boss for support. Number four, Michelle gives some great advice for caregivers. Try to get as much help as you possibly can. You can't pour from an empty cup. She says she was exhausted emotionally and physically, and she really wishes that she would have taken more time for herself during that time. Number five, within a span of six months, her husband passed away, she became an empty nester, and she turned 50. She was left asking, what is this life? Number six, 
Michelle found herself turning to alcohol to get through her pain. Her friend told her she was going down a really dangerous path. He said to her, grief has a price and it demands to be paid. You will pay the price of grief. You can delay it, but you might create a lot more grief and a lot more pain in the end. And those words were her wake-up call. Number seven, she realized that the pain she was feeling was all of the love that she had for her husband with nowhere to put it anymore. Number eight, Michelle and John had some conversations before he passed away, and he told her that he wanted her to get married again. He also told her that she had sacrificed a lot of her life over the years they were together, and now it's her turn to live for her. Number nine, Michelle started her podcast, Relentlessly Resilient, a couple of years ago as a passion project. She shares stories of resilience, and you can find her podcast on ksl.com. I'll also put the link in the show notes. And finally, number 10, some key things that have really helped Michelle along the way are one, being honest with herself daily, two, keeping a gratitude journal, number three, surrounding herself with healthy friendships, number four, having her go-to people on her call list, number five, prayer, yoga, and meditation. I hope you enjoyed part two of this episode with Michelle. Don't forget to join our free Facebook group at Widow 180 Community and be a part of the Widow Squad and get in on our weekly meetings, amazing guest speakers, amazing friendships that are happening here, awesome courses and resources for all things widowhood. This week, we're talking all about dating on our Wednesday night meeting. So get in here. It's going to be a lot of fun go to widowsquad.com. That's widowsquad.com. Just click the link in the show notes. And that's it for me for this week, you guys. Until next week, believe in the possibilities. Thank you so much for listening to Widow 180, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you're seeking daily inspiration and guidance, you can follow me on Facebook at Widow 180, the community, on YouTube at Widow 180, the channel, and on Instagram at Widow 180. If you're interested in more grief and widowhood resources, including our latest freebie, How to Get Your Life Back Together After Loss, a 10-step checklist, head over to www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie.